All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Victory Prayer Circle with We Who Dwell Faith Community. I am your host, Natasha T. Brown. I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be an amazing Bible study. So if you are here for the first time, I just want to welcome you. If you're tuning in on Facebook or even listening to the podcast for the first time, you are so welcome. Tonight, we are actually going to be studying in chapters 25 and 26 of Acts of the Apostles. And so I think that, you know, you're going to need your notebook, you're going to need your Bible, you're going to need all of those things because we're going to learn tonight. This has been a really phenomenal summer-long series. We only have one more uh, of these one more of these Bible studies left after tonight. Uh, we've been going through the whole book of Acts. And so before I pray us in, let me just tell you a little bit about We Who Dwell. So We Who Dwell, we are a faith community that has a mission to empower disciples of Christ to dwell in God's presence through the word, worship, and prayer. And so every week we meet here for the Victory Prayer Circle. And as I mentioned, the Lord has us on a really um, different kind of journey this summer, just studying the Bible, the book of Acts. I just believe that it's his heart to get more of us in his word so that we know the power that we have as believers in everything that he really wants to do through our lives. He is no respecter of persons. And so we've been having some really great teachers all month long and all summer long for about almost three months now. So I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Victory Prayer Circle podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, we are on all of those outlets. And you can also visit wehudwell.org um, for more information. And if you want to get updates whenever we go live, I want, to, I want you to send us a text message. You can join our text message community. You can text the word dwell, D-W-E-L-L, to 55469. So if you text dwell to 55469. You can get alerts whenever we go live for any of our events. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this night, Lord. We just uplift your name. We thank you, God, because you are faithful. You are sovereign. You got us here to another week to study your word, God. And I just thank you, Lord, for everything that you have already done and what you're going to do through the hearts and minds of your children tonight and even even those who listen later on. Father, we thank you for your servant tonight, God, Ebony Rice, God. She is a phenomenal woman of God, and we thank you for everything that you have imparted into her to share with us tonight, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, God, that you would have your way through Ebony, God, and that you would have your way in this hour of Bible study, Lord. And I pray, God, that through this, you will plant seeds in your people, Father, to get to know you more, to seek you, and to truly dwell well in your presence. Lord, take over her Holy Spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to turn it over to our teacher tonight. Ebony Rice is a phenomenal woman of God, a missionary. Uh, we were introduced by one of our uh, mutual close friends, Daniel Bradley, Reverend Dan. And it's just been really awesome to just know her, to fellowship with her, and to truly just uh, like hear and, and learn more about her heart for God, her heart for the nations, her heart for um, the word of God. So tonight, Ebony is going 
going to be leading us. And I am um, really excited about this. So I'm going to unmute Ebony and <laughs> let's see here. Ebony, are you there? Yes. Hey, sis. Hi. <laughs> hey, I am so honored. Um, this study of the book of Acts is such a blessing. And I just had to start off by um, commending you and thanking God for your faithfulness um, through this uh, journey, through this journey. The teachers have been amazing. The teachings have been amazing. Um, and so I want to encourage everyone if this is your first time um, to please go back and listen to some of the playbacks. I haven't heard all of them, but the teachers I've heard have just so richly blessed me and to be committed for this long is no small feat. So I'm just, I'm humble and I am so excited to be here. So thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you. Thank you for that. Ebony, take it away. I am excited to hear from you tonight. <laughs> okay, let's, let's get into it. I have to also just quickly shout out the fact that my mother is... <laughs> listening tonight and so I'm so excited hey mom um she y'all won't be able to hear her on the podcast so but just know hey, I'm mom. sure she is <laughs> <laughs> um I'm so excited so we are in Acts 25 and 26 and we're just gonna go ahead and jump in and um last week's teaching just so so richly blessed me and I think um, we're not going to do a recap, but just to let you all know where we are in the life of Paul in this book, um, is he is imprisoned in Caesarea. And so where we pick up in chapter 25, just keep that in mind that Paul is in prison in Caesarea. And there's also been a regime change. Um, so Felix, who you may remember from last week, who was the governor in Rome in chapter 24. Now it's actually Festus who's the governor um, in, in Judea in chapter 25. So we're gonna pick up and keep that in mind that there has been two years have passed and we've gone from Felix who in chapter 24 was the governor. Now Festus is the governor in chapter 25 and Paul has now been in prison for two full years and he is pleading his case and so we're just going to start at the beginning. I'm going to, I'm reading from the ESV um, Bible. And so, you know, when you have like so many devices up, um, you have to orient yourself. So we're in um, Acts 25 and I'm reading from ESV and I'm going to read chapter one. And it says, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and they urged him asking, as a favor against Paul that he summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So where we are in this story, just at the beginning, there's like so much right here at the top and I don't want us to kind of breathe past it or to miss it. So Festus has been in office for three days and Paul has been in prison for two years under the previous governor, Felix. And so um, it says that Festus just arrived there. And when the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, they asked, they were essentially asking Festus to do them a favor. They were saying, hey, I know he's in your custody in Caesarea, but release him to us and then we can try him in Jerusalem. And this is significant because if he were to be tried in uh, Jerusalem, then as the scripture says, they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. And they've already tried to do this before. This is like the second, at least, ambush attempt against Paul. So Paul is a, a wanted man. And he is um, in 
Festus has only been in office a couple of days, but it's really important that he keep peace among the Jews. It's really important that he impress the Jews. And so they, they carry a heavy weight. And so this ask of them, even though he turns them down, I, I want us to pay attention to the power dynamics and the power structures as it relates to the government that are in this chapter and we'll break them down even further. But again, there's so much kind of packed at the top there to keep in mind because Festus has only been in this role three days and they're already asking for, the, for Paul to be released to the Jews so that they can uh, kill him on the way to Jerusalem. So we're going to pick up now in verse four. It says, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let him bring charges against him. And so what Festus is doing here, um, even without, without him knowing it, is, is saving Paul's, is really saving Paul's life. And I think what's also really important is for us to just keep in mind the charges that were brought up against Paul in chapter 24. So behind me right here, if you're listening on the podcast, you won't see it, but these are kind of my study notes. And so the charges brought up against Paul, there are three charges that were brought up against Paul. The first is breaking the Jewish law. The second is stirring up riots, and the third is profaning the temple. And this is extremely important because it means that he would have broken Jewish law, he would have broken Roman law, and he would have broken the temple law. So these are not like small chart. This is like capital murder, homicide. These are like very severe charges that were brought up against Paul in chapter 24. And so what Festus is saying in verse four, when we get to chapter 25 is I'm going to go to Caesarea anyway, to Caesarea, sorry, anyway. And so let Paul plead his case before me. And then we'll have the opportunity to really kind of see what's going on here. And then in verse five, it says, so he said, uh, let the men of authority among you come down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. And so he's saying also that the ones who are in authority, the high priests, the chief priests who are among them, those who are high ranking officials in the Jewish community, you all come with me and we'll go and we'll talk to Paul together. And you yourself can bring your charges against Paul. And then we'll kind of see what's going on here. And so I'm going to keep going and then we'll pause right before um, Paul actually has the opportunity to plead his case and we'll um, kind of unpack everything that's happening. And so in verse six says, after he stayed among them, not more than eight to 10 days, he went down to uh, Caesarea and the next day he took his seat in the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him. The charges are the ones that I just um, named. So it's breaking Roman law, breaking the temple law, and breaking Jewish law. And mind you, all of these things are punishable by death, any one of them. And so then it says, serious charges against him. Okay, verse 7. When he arrived, the Jews who stood... Um, Sorry, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. So this is, this is key. So they're bringing these charges against Paul that they have no evidence of. They have no evidence of him doing this. And then if you also know the life of Paul from previous chapters, as we've been studying the book of Acts, you know that Paul was so acquainted with Jewish law because he himself was a Pharisee previously. Paul was so acquainted with temple law. He knew how to conduct himself. He knew what to do. He knew how to dress. He knew what to say. He knew everything about temple law. And he also did not break Roman law. And so none of these charges 
were they able to prove, but they were adamant about making sure that Paul, that Paul was condemned in this way. So we're going to keep going. And it says, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor the law of the temple, nor the law of Caesar, which is the Roman law, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do, do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? This is, a, this is really important. I want to say something before we get to the next part. So Festus, it's so key in his job. The Jews are his constituents. So the Jews are the ones where he wants to please them. He wants to do what it is that they, they say. He wants to make sure that they're happy. He wants to keep peace. He wants to do those things. So it's important to him to be able to appease whatever it is that they're asking of him. But the thing is, they don't have any proof. And so even though he wants to make sure that he's appeasing the Jews, everything they're saying, Festus knows good and well that if he had done all these things, there would absolutely be proof. You can't like sneakily do these things. So there would certainly be proof. And then he also knows that Felix has had Paul in prison for two years. So they've kept this man in prison on charges that nobody has any proof of. So even him being new in his position, but still wanting to appease the Jews knows that he can't rightfully continue to keep Paul in custody. And he certainly can't condemn him to death because there's nothing that he's been accused of that anyone's been able to prove. So what's really important here before we get to this next section, which is also really pivotal, is to kind of understand these power dynamics that are going on because you have Festus, who is the, who is the Roman governor, and he works under Caesar, who is the head of the Roman government. And then on the opposite side of that, you have the Jewish leaders and those who are the chief priests and the high priests in the Jewish tradition. And these are like two, two like different regimes that are operating here. And so Festus on this side, and then the Jews are on this side, and they they're trying to urge him to condemn Paul to death, essentially, to allow them to kill Paul. But he can't do that properly and then report back to Caesar um, saying that he killed this man without just cause. So he's in a really tight spot, and he's only a few days on the job. But he's in a really tough position because he has to, he's trying to make sure that he can report to Caesar and also that he can appease his constituents. So Festus is like kind of got, came into the job in a really tough position. And so, well, before we go on, because this next part is really important, do we have any questions just kind of on what's going on um, as we set the stage in this chapter? Yeah, if you all have questions, I believe you can unmute yourself, but if not, go ahead and type them in the chat room. And um, while, while we're waiting uh, for that, I just want to add, you mentioned power dynamics, and the other power dynamic here was Paul's Roman citizenship. So yes, he, we're about to get to that. Yep. Yeah, so it's like he, um, you know, it seems weird that he's consulting the prisoner, the accused, about what he wants to do, um, but it's also an accommodation. In addition to all of those things that Ebony laid out for us, um, Paul, remember, he was a Roman citizen, so he was also trying to appease to his legal rights as a Roman citizen as well, because there's not too much, you know, that he can do to pause right now being a Roman citizen and not being able to prove his um, guilt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I think we can move forward. That's actually, that's a perfect segue because in verse eight, it says, or no, I'm sorry, not verse eight. We're gonna go to, I think we left off in verse 10. But Paul said, 
I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. And we're going to pause there for a second. So as Natasha just pointed out, Paul is a Roman citizen. So it is Paul's legal right to be tried in the tribunal of Caesar in Caesarea where he is, meaning he doesn't have to be tried by the Jews. And Paul's not crazy. Like Paul knows that they, they've been out to get him for a long time. This isn't Paul's first rodeo. This isn't Paul's, um, this isn't his first time kind of um, going through something similar. So Paul is aware that it's his legal right to be tried in Caesarea in the tribunal before Festus like he is because he's a Roman citizen and he knows his rights, he knows the laws. And so this kind of goes back to what we were talking about just a moment ago in terms of Paul being so well acquainted with the law. Paul was one of those guys who, because he was a Pharisee, he knew Jewish and temple law. And because he was a Roman citizen, he knew the Roman law. So Paul was like not the one to try in this situation because he knew exactly what his rights were. He followed them to the letter. Paul was like that type of guy where it's like, you got the wrong one. If you were really looking for somebody that even would bend in any one of these areas. And that's why they had to keep him on no charges for so long. And Paul himself appealed um, to the court that he was currently in and just really stood on the authority that he was able to be there. And this is just also just kind of speaks to, I think, the the boldness uh, that Paul had in terms of like not only knowing his legal right, but expressing his legal right and not allowing himself to be given up to, to the Jewish leaders. And so then we're going to keep going. Um, and it says, to the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. In verse 11, and if I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to es escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. This is like, a this is a really serious speech. Paul is telling the governor who has the authority to kill him, who has the authority to release him over to the Jews, and he's telling him what he can do. He's letting him know exactly what his rights are as a Roman citizen. And he's letting Festus know that he knows that he can't just give him up to the Jews and relinquish him to their power because he's done nothing wrong. And this is like a really, really pivotal moment where we kind of see how the operation is between Rome and between the Jews. And there is this, in fact, we're going to get to it in a second, but um, I'm going to show you all a map in just a minute, and it really shows the power structure, like what areas Rome had power in and what areas the Jews had power in. And Paul was just so keenly aware of this and really was able to um, like kind of voice and add his own agency in this moment so that he wouldn't just be give, given way to his own death. Um, and then he says, and you know very well I haven't done anything, because if I would have, I mean, the idea of like defiling the temple, I mean, that would have been like front page news. So Paul is saying, you would have very well known if I would have broken temple law. You would have absolutely known if I would have broken Roman law. So this is like a, also just a really powerful speech as Paul is like testifying to his own uh, innocence in this situation. And then, and then Paul goes on to say, and if I did do something wrong, I'm not afraid to die. Paul was also one who believed in the letter of the law. He wasn't afraid. Paul is the one who said to die is Christ, and, or excuse me, to uh, live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is like, I'm not afraid of death. If I did something wrong, Paul knew the cost of the gospel. He knew the cost of what he was doing, and he still chose to do it anyway. So Paul was like, Paul was just not the one all the way around. We're going to keep going, though. And then he, he says it again. I appeal to Caesar. Verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. 
And this is when we really see like kind of how this, this structure works. And so because Paul appealed to Caesar, uh, Festus has to allow him to go and bring his case to Caesar. This is the equivalent of like taking his case from like the local city court to like the state government. So this is him saying, I want to go and authorize my legal right to take my case to Caesar. And Ebony, can I um, add one thing here? Please, please. I think also Festus kind of got off like, you know, he was, he, it was also a good thing for him because he didn't have to make a decision that would like antagonize the Jews. He didn't have to make a decision in that moment that would make the Jews mad. So by Paul saying, I want to appeal to Caesar, it was like, okay, okay, good. Now I'm off the hook for making this hard, hard choice. So yeah. <laughs> and it gets complicated, right? Because it, this is, I, if you really think about this, it's not unlike a lot of um, power dynamics that exist now. And Festus is like really a key character in terms of how we see this play out because he ends up, we're going to talk about it in a second, but he ends up like having to write this letter and not really being able to write this letter because again, be mindful that there have been charges brought against Paul, but no one has been able to prove them. So at this point, it's just people, but people who are in high-ranking positions conspiring to take Paul's life because the message that Paul's been bringing and the gospel that Paul's been sharing and the truth and the, the, the following of Jesus that Paul has uh, stirred up has been too great. And so this is a conspiracy to take Paul down. And Festus is caught in the middle of it, and he does not want to be. And poor thing, he's only been on the job a couple of weeks, but he'll be all right. So we're going to keep going. So this is... Uh, Paul being brought before Agrippa and Bernice. So now we're in verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, uh, I keep saying it wrong, Caesarea, and greeted Festus. So Agrippa is the Jew, he's a Jew, Jew and he's a king. So Agrippa is, would be on the side of, there's a Roman side and there's a Jewish side. And so he is a really high ranking official in the Jewish community, just to set that stage. Verse 14. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix, making it clear like, look, I didn't like this man up. Felix left him for two years. I just, I inherited this prisoner. Um, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him, which, which means death. And I answered them um, that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accuser face to face and had the opportunity to make this defense concerning the charge laid against them. In essence, like I can't just condemn him to you. I can't give him over to you. I, we have to like talk this thing out. And then verse 17. So when they had came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and I ordered the man to be brought, the man being Paul. And when the accusers sit up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I suppose. So Festus was expecting them to like, because they had made such outrageous claims, Festus is expecting like real proof. He's expecting them to come with some receipts, some facts, some screenshots, like something that really says that the things that they have accused Paul of doing because they asked for his, his death, he actually did. And he was like, that's what I had supposed, but rather they had certain points of dispute with them about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So as Festus and Agrippa 
are having this conversation. Festus is like trying to plead with Agrippa because Festus also doesn't know Jewish law like Agrippa does. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman. He's a Roman. So Festus is talking to King Agrippa and he's trying to like help him understand what's going on between his community, the Jewish community, and what's going on between Paul because he's going to ask for him to like get involved in a minute. Because to Natasha's point earlier, he's like, look, somebody else has to enter this case because this isn't going to go well. And he's really in a, a tight spot. And so here we go. We are going to pick up in verse 20. It says, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, Festus is like, I don't know what to do. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, which is Caesar, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So Festus is like, as soon as possible, you're going to hear this because I need you to be able to give me some insight into this because this is not an unusual case. And, and also remember that Festus um, isn't as familiar with Roman or not Roman, I'm sorry, with Jewish law as King Agrippa is and certainly as the high priest are. But he know all he knows is like that they're arguing over religion. Festus like feels like he doesn't know the details. So like they're arguing over religion. There's like some Jesus involved who they're saying is dead, but Paul saying is alive. And none of this is enough to kill him. So in essence, Festus, um, his position on this is such that he knows that they're having some kind of dispute and he doesn't think that it's worthy of death. You guys just disagree on this Jesus person who Paul is like vehemently saying is alive and you are saying that Paul deserves to die for proclaiming that this Jesus is alive. And it's about to get like really good. And so we're going to, um, so the next day, verse 23, uh, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, just meaning like, a bunch of folks, they had a, it was a whole ceremony. And they entered the audience hall with military tribunes and with the proponent men of the, prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see the man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here. I, I'm, I'm emphasizing this because Paul, the, the, fact that Paul is wanted in multiple cities by these men who are, and these aren't, these aren't just like Jewish guys. They are high priests. They are chief priests and they are extremely respected in the, in the temple. They are extremely respected in the Jewish community. So much so that Festus is even entertaining and brought the king before um, Paul so that he could hear Paul's petition because he's, he's in this situation where he's like, these are, are really prominent guys who are conspiring, the entire community is conspiring to kill him. And so he needs like another opinion and another eye in on this, and to weigh in on this situation and ultimately like make the decision. But it can't be lost on us that Paul, especially we're almost at the end of Acts. So there's been so much happening in the life of Paul. There's been so much happening and we're gonna um, also talk about it in just a second once we get to, through chapter 25. But I don't want it to be lost on us that the impact Paul made in the community, the impact Paul made among the Gentiles was so great that the entire Jewish leadership was conspiring to kill Paul and trying to figure out for two years while he was in custody the way by which they can do it. And so they fabricated in the highest way possible to make sure that there was a case brought up um, before, before, the, the, uh, before Festus to make sure that Paul um, was sentenced to death or that he could be released to them so they themselves could kill them, to kill him. And 
to know Jewish law also knows that everything they're saying is also against Jewish law for them to be conspiring to kill him, for them to be lying on him. So they themselves are breaking Jewish law in their minds for the sake of Jewish law, which is like the epitome of hypocrisy, right? And we see that happening a lot where for, for the sake of what you are fighting so hard for, you're breaking your own um, morals and values and your own religious identity because you want so badly to, be make, to make sure that this, this Jesus that Paul was proclaiming is alive, that we actually make sure that the Gentiles and that he doesn't gain a larger following um, so that, so that we, can, we can make sure that this whole thing stops. Like they thought that the gospel would stop. If we get rid of Paul, we can ultimately like really stop the spread of the gospel and we can really stop this Jesus movement that Paul was really spreading in Gentile communities. And um, again, I'm going to talk about it in just a second, but I'm going to get through chapter 25. We're almost at the end of 25. And this is where, this is also where it's interesting. Um, the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. This is also really important. So what Festus is telling Agrippa is that I'm going to send Paul to, to the emperor, to Caesar, because that was Paul's request. And as a Roman citizen, Paul has that permission to do that. He can do that. But I don't have anything to write. And so Festus could also be in grave trouble. Like Festus could be unseated. Festus himself could be put to death. If you send a prisoner all the way, so where they would have to go to Italy, so if you send him from uh, Caesarea all the way to Italy and you don't even have charges brought up against him and you bring him before Caesar, it's going to be an entire issue. And so Festus at this point is like, he wants to go to Caesar. I have to permit him to go to Caesar, but I don't have any charges to be brought up against him. So like, what, what am I to do? It says, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, y'all handle it. And especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. And that's the end of chapter 25. Um, and so what we have here is Paul is about to make his case before King Agrippa. And Festus is like really listening intently. He wants to find out from Agrippa, like if there was a Jewish law broken or a temple law broken, because he needs to be able to definitely write something. It's inappropriate for him to send an entire prisoner across the sea and they've never, and he hasn't had any valid charges brought up against him. So he's petitioning Agrippa to kind of help him in this decision and bring him in on this decision. And before we start with chapter 26, um, I'm going to pause for questions in a second, but I wanted to show you all, um, again, I know for you on the podcast, you won't be able to see this, but it's just a really small, this is like, this is just Paul's life, like, in, and this isn't everything, these are just some points in Paul's life, so I'm going to go through them, and this is important to understand, to really think about, like, why they're going so hard to kill Paul, that they themselves are even breaking Jewish law. So Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9. And then the Hellenists tried to kill Paul as well. So again, this isn't like the first time Paul's been um, trying to try to be murdered. Then he had his first missionary journey to Antioch. Paul's had a second missionary journey to Galatia, to Macedonia, and to Athens. And then Paul had a third missionary journey to um, Antioch as well. And then Paul writes Corinthians and Ephesians. And then Paul is imprisoned. 
And then this is where we are right now in Paul's life. So all of these things have led up to this. And then some other things happen. Paul finally voyages to Rome. Um, he's on house arrest. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, he's rearrested. And then Paul writes Timothy, first and second Timothy, Titus, and then he's martyred in Rome. And this was important. I was trying to just kind of wrap my mind around the impact that Paul made. And all of this was to get the gospel to the Gentiles. I don't know if you can see this, but in the center, Paul was taking the gospel and spreading the God. He was spreading it to everyone. But when Paul was first converted, he was spreading the gospel in Damascus. And then right as he was, right after he was being converted, he was spreading the gospel in Damascus. And then Paul was spreading the gospel in Antioch and Macedonia. And then Paul was going into Asia Minor and spreading the gospel. And then even when Paul was in prison, even when Paul was on house arrest, he's writing the gospel. So every time Paul was being persecuted or drove, driven out of a city, what, what they weren't understanding is they were allowing Paul to operate within this greater narrative of making sure that the gospel got out, making sure that the, that the glory of God was, was lifted above the earth and that people had the opportunity to know him. And above all, like Christ's desire is to be known. And the book of Acts is like this beautiful tapestry that just spells out how the great lengths that the Holy Spirit conspired to make sure that the gospel got out to the people. And Paul was like a great and central character in this because even when he was in prison, even when he was on house arrest, and we're going to see in a second, even when Paul is pleading his case, he's witnessing to the jailers, he's witnessing to King Agrippa, he's witnessing to Festus, he's witnessing to all these people who think they have authority over him. But not only does Paul know the laws and know his rights, but Paul is one who also knows the Lord. And so he tells him like, I'm not afraid to die. So y'all can do whatever it is y'all wanna do. But the whole time they're thinking that they're muzzling Paul and, they're, and the other disciples as well, that they're stopping the gospel from getting out. They're actually giving Paul time to write to the churches, for the churches to write back, for Paul to go on missionary journeys. Even when he's shipwrecked, he's healing people and he's doing miracles. And so it's no wonder that this entire community is like, this is way too much power for these Jesus people. So we need to make sure that we silence them and that we remind the community that Jesus is dead because the gospel has spread so far into the non-Jewish community, meaning the Gentiles. So this is like, Paul is like a bad guy um, to them. And so I want to pause there before we go to 26. Yes, and I just want to, um, so does anyone have questions who is here in the prayer meeting room? Does anyone have questions or even comments? This is so good, right? Oh my, so good. And online, uh, there are comments, this is good. Paul was faithful to his calling. Um, Jesus redeemed his time. Yes, so those are all really great points. And I, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if anyone else has any comments or questions, but if you do, you can either raise your hand or um, type them in the chat room or um, even just unmute yourself. That's totally fine. Uh, this is certainly, you know, we want it to be a dialogue, so don't be shy. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as me. Oh, this is so good, Ebony. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of set us up for a, li a little bit before we get into 26 and yes. re read a couple of things to you guys. So, okay, so 26 and in 26 verse 1. Okay, Ebony, let's, let's tag team here. Can you yes. read verse 1 of chapter yes. 26? It says, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. 
Okay, so Festus yields the floor to Agrippa, who gives Paul permission to speak now. So this is like a dramatic moment, and I'm reading for, from like a Bible study book that I have, and I sometimes consult, especially in this book. So it says, this is a dramatic moment. For four generations, the family of Herod yes. has God's work through Jesus first and John the Baptist, James, James. the Apostle, yep. and now Paul. Yes. Great point. It says, yet here the word of God is boldly proclaimed before the current Herodian leader. It is also a moment when the words of Jesus to his disciples and later to Paul are fulfilled. So I want to read two verses for you. In um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, it says, Jesus told his disciples, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So Jesus's words, we see they're coming to life right here through Paul's life. And then again in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, after Paul was converted, if you remember, um, Jesus sent Ananias to Paul to lay hands on him. In verse 915 of Acts, he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel yes. of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So now we see that Paul, you know, he's living out the scriptures. God's word is coming to life. And the only other thing I want to note here as we go through, as Ebony takes us through the first few verses of this chapter, um, God had, remember in the, the previous chapters, God had revealed to Paul that he would be heard in Rome. So Paul knew that he was going to Rome. So he didn't even need to really like kind of stress out over this situation, um, even plead for his innocence. And so what he does and what we'll see is that he really just takes this opportunity to lay out the gospel, to lay out his conversion. And the way he does it, he it's the longest um his, his longest testimony recorded in Acts out of five times that Paul shared his testimony and defended himself. Um, what he does next is pretty much his longest defense of himself. So I just wanted to mention that because I don't want to stop you as you go through. But yeah, this is so huge what we're about to get to now. It's huge. It's, you no, know, thank you, sis. That's so revelatory to keep in the in the front of our mind that these are the words of Jesus like being fulfilled so Paul isn't like Paul is the least shaken um in this in this situation so we're gonna pick up uh where Natasha just left us off which is verse two and I I didn't intend to go line for line but we may have to go line for line because this this testimony that Paul gives when he tells his conversion story is so good and so this is, we're picking up in verse two of chapter 26. Let me get my, I'm turning page. Okay. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently Y'all, if you can just imagine this in your mind where Paul is like happily uh, sharing before Agrippa because he knows Agrippa knows Jewish law. Agrippa knows everything um, that there is to know about what Paul's going to say. But more importantly than that, Paul is about to witness to King Agrippa and to everybody. If you remember, 
Um, and we just read in chapter 25 that there was pomp and circumstance. There was all of these, the high priests were there. There were all of these people. I mean, they really had like an entourage with them. And so Paul is like setting the stage for that. So he asks for them to listen to him patiently. He says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. In short, like, you know me. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And so if you remember before Paul's conversion, Paul was a Pharisee and of the strictest kind. So Paul was one who was murdering Christians and who was speaking against um, the Bible. And he's going to talk about that, not the Bible, I'm sorry, against the gospel, against Jesus. And he's going to go into detail with that. And that's really important because he's like, if, if the accusation is that I broke Jewish law and temple law. It's just absurd because I was of the strictest faction of the Pharisees. So I absolutely knew what the laws were. And we're going to continue. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our, trail, our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king, why is the thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? In this moment, Paul is like really like challenging their, their own faith because he's saying like, you know, we both understand Jewish law. We know about the 12 tribes. We know about the history. So how is it inconceivable but that the God that you worship, like what we're, who we're talking about, like how could you not see that this God could raise from the dead. And the, the point of argument here is that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the point of argument here. And the Jews are saying that he wasn't and that he's dead. Um, and they're, you know, they conspired to have him killed as well. And what also what Natasha said is so important because this family, th this King Agrippa, this family is the same family from Herod the Great a generation back where they tried to have Jesus killed and then they had John the Baptist killed and then they had James the Apostle killed. And now as Paul is standing before them, this is like history of trying to stop the gospel, but none of it has worked. None of it has worked. So Paul is using this opportunity to really um, challenge their faith and really witness in this moment. And so it's not, it's, it's a huge moment. And then uh, verse nine, it says, I myself was converted that I ought to do many things in opposing, or excuse me, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from my chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them in all synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul is saying like, what's happening here? I was the worst of it. Like I persecuted them. I killed them. If they were tried, I voted that they'd be sentenced to death. But he's also sharing about how corrupt the chief priesthood was because he said whenever he had authority he would go and he would persecute these people and he would cast them away from their homes and their cities into far off countries and he's really like admitting that this entire regime like everything that you all are fighting for he's literally coming for like the the chief priests and the the necks of these people because what they're doing is persecuting people and he's like but the hope that you all are praying and worshiping for i have that hope now and you think you do but you don't and I want to share that with you and so it's getting it's about to get good because Paul is about to tell of his conversion as Natasha led us to 
all of this has led up to like this moment. And so um, we're pick up in verse 12. It says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant, to witness to, these, to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It goes on, but like, as Natasha said, this is the first time that in such great detail, we're really hearing the testimony of Paul talking about his conversion. And so this is like really a moment, like, you know, have you all started talking about your testimony and told your testimony and like really thought about it and really had this moment to try to get people to understand like what I'm talking about is, is a real experience that I had. And I thought I knew what was going, I thought I knew the right thing because Paul was as a Pharisee really believed that what he was doing was right. And what he was doing was the thing that was honoring God. And then when that entire thing that understanding was shifted and turned upside down like that. I'm sure that was just like this huge kind of reckoning intention for Paul, but he decided to follow Jesus after he had this incredible experience and his even changed, the Lord even changed his name. And so in the scripture, it refers to him as Saul. We know that his name is now Paul. But this is just like this incredible moment where Paul is like talking to uh, King Agrippa and he's essentially saying like, I was you guys. I was y'all. We were doing the same thing. This thing that we're doing now, I've, I've done it. I've been there before. But the hope that I have now that you all don't understand, I'm trying to bring light to darkness. And I'm trying to get you to understand that you're operating under the power of Satan. So come into the power of the almighty God. It's this beautiful moment where Paul is like reckoning with them because he wants them to know, like, it's not just that I'm like, kind of understand what you're saying, but I was you, I was like you, I, I understand. I was casting my vote so that people could be persecuted and die. But then the Lord decided that I would be the one to not just go to anybody, but specifically to the Gentiles so that they can know him, know, actually know who he was. And then the scripture says to be delivered from his own people. So he knew, he's like, the Lord has delivered me from y'all. I'm not even tripping on whatever happens here. Paul was so over like holding on to his life and reputation and things and stuff. He didn't even care about that and he knew what his mission was and he was clear. And so this particular witnessing opportunity is key because he is, there's so many things going on here. Again, this is the same family that tried to kill Jesus, that did kill John the Baptist, that killed James. So here Paul is like telling them like, look, I want, I'm, I'm want you to follow the, the hope that you proclaim. I want you to actually know what, what it is that you're, you, when you pray and when you worship, he calls out their prayer and their worship rituals. And he's like, when you do that, like you are, and then try to kill and, and falsify the gospel at the same time. Like it's just, it's the wrong direction. And so this is like this really huge moment. Um, and so we're gonna go on and pick up in verse 19 as Paul continues talking about his conversion experience. And it says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, 
I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, for the reason of him going to the Jews and the Gentiles in Judea, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And this is like, he wants to make sure that King Agrippa and everybody who's watching and listening to this, that they understand like that this is why I'm here. It's not because of the temple laws and the Roman laws and the Jewish, it's, it's not because of that, it's because I had this encounter with Jesus and I took that encounter, I took the gospel and I spread it to Judea and I spread it to Damascus and I spread it to all these different places into the ends of the earth, wherever I, I, the Lord sent me, I took the gospel to those places. So for that reason, you are seizing me. But Paul also says like, this was written in, in the book. You saw this written in the book of Moses. This was written by the prophets. Paul wants them to know that the, what, they're, what they're experiencing and what he's talking about was already written by the prophets. And so he's like, you know what I'm saying is true. You know that there was a Messiah who was promised and who was to come. You know that. So the fact that you were acting like Jesus hasn't risen from the dead and that you are denying the gospel is crazy. You know this. You have all, you know it. And so it gets even better um, toward the end. And we're, we're wrapping up here. But I, I, I don't want it to be lost on us. Again, the, the bigness of, I'm going to use that word, the bigness of this moment where all of these things are coming together uh, in terms of generations of, of of trying to stop the gospel and it's not working and Paul getting to witness to King Agrippa. And and just for context, King Agrippa is pious. He is, he is devout. He is a religious guy. And so he, Paul knows that he understands exactly what the scriptures say. He understands exactly what the, what the prophets were saying in days of old. All the things they talk about in the temple, Paul knew that King Agrippa and that the chief priests knew it. And so he's trying to connect what they already know to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to come to um, an end here soon. And then we'll take some questions and we'll close and we'll close out. Chapter, not chapter, I'm sorry, verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. And for this, excuse me, for this has not been done in a corner. So he's saying, I know that King Agrippa can testify to what I'm saying. I know that he knows that what I'm saying is true and that this is the gospel because he knows the prophets. He knows the law of Moses. So he knows that what I'm saying is true. And then I'm, we're going to continue on. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? So Paul directly asked him. He's challenging his faith. Do you believe the prophets? And then he says, I know that you believe. And Paul said, whatever short or long, or excuse me, I know that you believe, oh, and Agrippa said to Paul, forgive me, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He's at, trying to ask him, like, are you trying to get me to be, to become a Christian? Is that what's going, you're supposed to be defending your own, this whole thing is like, Agrippa is like, I thought you were going to talk about, like, you not breaking these laws, like, I thought you would take this opportunity to defend yourself, and to say that you haven't done what they're accusing you of, 
And so, but instead, are you trying to get me to become a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would expect God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, meaning a Christian, except for these changes. And the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had uh, withdrawn, they said one to another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. We get to the end of this chapter and Paul has told this incredibly detailed and beautiful testimony and then tells Agrippa directly, like, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the things that were written in old, the things that Isaiah said, as Natasha pointed out earlier, what they're living was already prophesied. So these men who are religious men, they knew that the things that Paul was preaching and teaching about were true. They were just upset that it was about that Jesus was a central narrative of what he was saying and that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus was written from the dead. But Paul wanted Agrippa to be and everyone to be clear that the men who were accusing him and that Agrippa himself as religious leaders, you could testify to the law of Moses and to the prophets. All of this had already been written and had already been prophesied. So Paul was like, you know what this is saying is true. And Paul was really the one to talk because he himself um, was one who was persecuting Christians before, but now he's at this place where he has seen and seen the truth, where he knows the truth and where he's trying to get Agrippa to understand that you know what I'm saying is true. And then Agrippa, they kind of like play him off a little bit. And Agrippa's like, are you trying to get me to become a Christian? And Paul's like, actually, I'm trying to get everybody to become a Christian. It's, it's not just you, every, Festus, all the people. Why, there's a whole bunch of people in here. And I'm trying to get everybody to become like I am, except for these chains. And this is, um, as she mentioned, Natasha mentioned, the longest account that we have of Paul on the road to Damascus. And we always talk about his conversion experience. But when he really like tells it, this is kind of amazing that he uses this opportunity to share the gospel when he had every right to use this opportunity to defend himself and to plead or beg or do whatever it was. But instead, Paul was just unfazed by all of that um, because he knew what his mission was. Again, as Natasha mentioned earlier, when the Lord commit and he says it in here, he knew what the Lord told him to do. And he even says, and I have not wavered on that. And even to this moment, even unto death, and, and Paul was for sure facing death. This is, this is for sure. Any of these men could have had Paul killed. And he was clearly very aware of that, but he wasn't stressed because he knew what his mission was. When you know what your mission is, like, why would you stress over people who are trying to pressure you? And you also know that they know the truth. And so this is a really huge moment. And then it closes um, with, a, with uh, Festus telling Agrippa, basically, I still don't know what's right on the paper. Um, this man, I still haven't found anything wrong um, that he's done. And then Agrippa saying, like, yeah, we actually could have let him go, except that he appealed to Caesar. And even that is, is going to end up fulfilling prophecy when he's on the road to go visit Caesar. But that's not my chapter, so I'm not going to get into that. We're going to stop there. Um, but are there, are there any questions before we wrap this up? I'm looking in the chat. Um, let me see. Oh, Ta oh, Tasha, you were responding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was asking if, if there are any prayer requests also, you all can just type them in the chat or even online um, if you're in Facebook as well. But yeah, does anyone have comments? What do you all think about the comments? Yeah. 
Yeah, comments. Uh, what do you all think about the SETI? And I definitely see your comment, Ariel. So we're going to pray for you tonight. Great teaching. Ariel says, great teaching. I agree with that. Yeah, this was really powerful, Ebony. Would you say? I was going to say, as we're waiting for comments, um, you know, I was asking the Lord, like, what he wanted to accomplish tonight, because this is going through the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's powerful. This is the beginning of the early church. This is like, you know, when Jesus commissions us to go and share the gospel to every nation. And I almost get a little like emotional thinking about it because so much has happened, you all, in this entire book. Like there's been so much suffering. There's been so much persecution. There's been so much imprisonment. And I, everything you can literally think of in your mind in terms of like torment and persecuting the believer has happened in the book of Acts. But the Lord allowed all of it to conspire so that the gospel be proclaimed. And like the degree and, and the sheer level that the Lord went to, even in the beginning when um, the disciples were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And so they were being driven out of Jerusalem. Even that was like this opportunity. What they didn't know is as you're driving the disciples and the Christians out of Jerusalem by persecution, what you're actually giving them the opportunity to do is to be, is to be refugees in other places, but then they get to minister and witness in those other places that they've gone. So all you've done is spread them out. And all you've done is allow the gospel to be preached in these other places. You thought putting Paul in prison was going to muzzle him, but all you did was allow jailers to be converted and allow kings to be converted. And you thought by getting like John the Baptist beheaded, it was going to stop the movement of the gospel. But all you did was allow for it, just like he was supposed to do him to make way for Jesus, who was the true Messiah. Like you thought all of these things that are outlined in this book, we're going to make sure that the gospel doesn't go forth and every attempt throughout all of history has failed to make sure that it happens. So, so it's important to center the, the entire Bible on, in the fact that the Bible is a book about God. And sometimes we put ourselves in the narrative and we think about like how, you know, we can find ourselves in the book, but the Bible is a book about God and all of the things, the fact that we even have the opportunity to read these words from Paul and to read about his testimony thousands of years later and to still proclaim the gospel of Jesus is no is no small feat because these, these men and these women gave their lives. Jesus himself gave his life because God desired to be known. And he only is known if we make him known. And so it's, it's so important, especially in the days that we live in. Like this week has been very hard. Today has been so hard um, for me personally and just like emotional and heavy and weighty. But the fact, I even thought about telling Natasha, like I'm drained and I can't do this because I've been so emotional about the things that I've been seeing in the news and things that have personally affected my family. But the thing is the gospel has to be preached. The gospel has to go forth and we are strengthened and encouraged when the, when we do that. And when the gospel goes forth, because that is why we exist. That's a mission. And like Paul, when you know your mission, you aren't phased by these other things because you, you know, you know that the gospel will prevail and the Holy Spirit is moving and doing things in the earth. And the fact that he invites us, just like he invited Paul, Natasha said he's no respecter of persons. So he invited Paul into his ministry and into his work and he's inviting us. He's ever inviting us to join him and getting the gospel out. He's ever inviting us to join him in his, the restoration work he's doing in the, the reconciliation work he's doing in the earth, the disruption work he's doing in the earth, the healing work he's doing. In the, we're all invited to do that. And so in this story, as 
Paul is telling his testimony and he's challenging the powers that be. He's challenging the power dynamic. We have these huge regimes that are coming. And I wanted to show you all before we close, um, this is going to be probably hard to see. Um, I'm not going to show it. This is actually going to be hard to see, but it's a map of, um, of where they, the region of Judea, where they are. And it shows like how many areas are controlled by Jews and how many are controlled by Rome. And King Agrippa is losing power. So the Jews are like, what you need to understand is in this historical context, the power dynamics of this governing day is that the Jews are losing power and the Rome is gaining power. And so the fact that the Jews are trying so hard to muzzle Paul, it's because they're losing power. If everybody goes to follow Jesus, then they're like, what is to come of their temples and their shrines and their customs and their, and their things? And so it's so important that they're trying to like hold on to this power structure. And Jesus is like coming to shake the whole thing upside down. And so it's what they're challenging is not just Paul, but it's like this entire system by which Paul is preaching. And so there's so many beautiful things that are at play here, but I want us to look at this narrative through the lens of the gospel only, not through the lens of, of ourselves or through the lens of other things, but through the lens of the gospel. And, and we're going to pray in a second. And what I'm really going to pray about is that in our lives, in our everyday lives, that the gospel be exalted, that the name of Jesus be exalted, and that above all else, we can allow for people to know God through knowing us. His, his desire is to be known in the earth. That is his desire. How, how we try to do that and what our efforts look like to do that um, are going to be different uh, for all of us who are listening to this, but it is imperative. And as Paul stood, literally knowing that his life could have been taken, and he told his testimony and proclaimed his witness, that's, that's a level of, of assurance in Jesus and boldness that is like beyond just you being cur courageous, but more like you being assured of the hope that Paul talks about in this chapter, that hope that he talks about. And we all have access to that same hope. And that's why, um, that's why we're here. And that's what, what all of our mission is. And so Natasha, if it's okay, I'm going to take a moment to close us, to pray, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. Absolutely. Amen. So let's, um, let's all just prepare to prepare to pray wherever you are. God, we just, God, we thank you. We honor you, Lord, for who you are. And we just take this opportunity to exalt your name, exalt the name of Jesus, the name that is so beautiful the name that when it resounds in heaven, angels bow. And the name, God, that when it's shaken and declared on earth, demons flee. We thank you, O oh God, for Jesus. We thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus, that through your Holy Spirit, you empower us to take the gospel into the nations, to take the gospel into our families, to take the gospel into our homes, into our friendship circles, to let people know that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who took on death, who took on hell, who took on sin, who took on our infirmities, our sicknesses, everything that we experience, our depression, our anxiety, our thought patterns, all of the things that make us ugly to ourselves, all of the things that make us hard to love to ourselves. He took those on so that we can have redemption and so that we can draw near unto God. So Father, I pray that you be near to us tonight. 
I pray, Father, for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I love in your word that it says that when you ascended, when Jesus ascended, you didn't leave us orphaned, but you sent your Holy Spirit to be our friend, to be our comfort, and to be our guide. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you teach us, oh God, that you teach us how to share the good news. I pray that you teach us how to be more like you. I pray that you guide us and that you fashion us into the vision of your son. I pray, God, that you hide us behind the cross Father, I pray that in these day and ages when we feel maybe drained or when we feel weighed down or when we feel heavy by the world, we remember that you said you have overcome the world. I pray, Father God, that when we feel like we are on trial, maybe um, in the office of public opinion or the jury of public opinion, God, that we remember that like Paul, we have the blessed assurance of knowing who you are and being called your child. We thank you, God, that you desire family with us, that you desire relationship with us. So I pray for every person who's listening now or listening in the future under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you or maybe doesn't know you like they want to or maybe wants to know if you're real, Father. I pray that you show them this hope that Paul talked about, that you give them an experience like his on the road to Damascus, that you make yourself real to them, Father, and that you give them the assurance that there is a hope that they can really set their hopes high on that won't disappoint them, that won't let them down, and I won't waver, Father God. I pray that we know how to cast our cares onto you, knowing that you care so deeply for us. And God, I pray that it's never lost on us, that we didn't choose you, God, but you looked upon the earth, God, and you chose us. So God, we thank you for being chosen. We thank you, Father God, for being our God. We thank you for being our redeemer and delivering us from the hand of enemies we know and enemies we didn't even know were coming. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus for every person who's watching now and listening now and every person who's going to listen in the future, that this be a pivotal moment, God, where they choose to follow you with their whole hearts. Even if they don't know what that means, I pray, God, for yeses tonight. I pray that people tell you okay to the things that you're calling them into. I pray that even if they're unsure, God, even if their voice is trembling, that they give you their yes and their assurance, Father. And in exchange, I pray that you give them your peace. I pray that you give them your joy. I pray that you give them, God, their deliverance and their breakthrough that they're seeking in their life. Father, I pray, God, that you give us an earnest desire to study your word, an earnest desire to know you, God, an earnest desire to make you known. Thank you, Lord, that your desire is to be known, that you don't want to be a mystery from us, that you know that you've written the same things in the scrolls that Paul was talking about, that we have access to this book and we can read about your you and the prophets. We can read about you, uh, your life on earth. We can read about you before you, were, you even were sent to earth, God, that we can know you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that every person you increase our understanding. You give us a fire and a, and a hunger and thirst for the word of God and a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray, Father, that it just be all over our lips, God, that it invade our minds and so that the word of God be continuously in our minds. So when thoughts creep up that shall rise against us, we have a scripture to speak against them. I pray, God, that you give us a song in our hearts of worship to you, O God. We thank you that all of, as all of earth declares your glory, God, so do we in like fashion declare the glory of the living God, the one and true God that we know, Father, is exalted above the heavens and exalted above the earth. I pray for boldness and courage for every person. I think I saw a prayer request for boldness. I pray for boldness, God, and I rebuke fear right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And I pray that we don't confuse our nervousness and discomfort for fear. But when we feel that, God, that we do things even amidst that feeling, even amidst the uncertainty, um, when you call us, God, that we go. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are still inviting us into your work, that you are still inviting us into your ministry, that you are still inviting us into your peace and into your joy. And to that we say, whenever you call us, Lord, 
we're coming. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone on this call who doesn't know you, and maybe they've never heard these stories, and maybe, they have, or maybe they've heard of you, but they've never given their life to you, I pray today be a day of redemption for them. I pray, God, that even now you are stirring something up in them that gives them a desire to know you and to know that all you require is their yes and you will take everything about, you will take them exactly how they are and you will make them brand new. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And we thank you for being exactly who you promised that you would be. And for this, we give you thanks. We give you honor. We give you praise. And I pray that tonight, the seeds that were planted, they, they just blossom and flourish in everyone's life. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. Oh, this was such a blessing. Oh, this was such a blessing. I just praise God for you, Lord. I just pray that you will refill Ebony back up, God, everything that she's poured out tonight, God. And we just thank you for her, Lord. We praise you, God, for all you've done tonight, God. We pray that the seeds that you've planted, that they will blossom, God, in Jesus' name. So I just have a couple of short announcements. Ebony, just so grateful for you tonight and grateful for everyone you here in our prayer room and everyone who tuned in online. Listen, we want to invite you to join us again. Next week is our finale of this series. And so here's what I would love for us to do is actually everybody, everybody, if you're available, study chapters 27 and 28 of Acts. These are our last two chapters, guys. Just study it. You can go back if you want to look at the other chapters and just bring any takeaways from this entire book next week, 8 o'clock p.m on Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Go back, study, read your word. Come here. Let's have a discussion. Let's all plan to be on camera if we can. And let's compare our study notes. Let's um, talk about what the Lord is showing us, what he's shown us whether it's just this week as we study or throughout the whole summer, what he has shown us. So you are all welcome back next week at eight o'clock. Also, I wanna invite you to join the We Who Dwell Faith community. Um, all you have to do, you can search We Who Dwell Faith community on Facebook, but you can easily just text the word dwell. Text the word dwell to 55469. It's gonna give you everything you need to know. Dwell to 55469. Also, this replay and all of the other um, editions of the Victory Prayer Circle that will be on our podcast, the Victory Prayer Circle podcast. Anywhere that you can get your podcast, you can subscribe to the Victory Prayer Circle. Uh, I am... I'm really grateful for you all. I just realized that Ebony's been staring at the camera the whole time and <laughs> I'm talking, but we see Ebony's face. <laughs> so this is the funny thing about doing video calls instead of phone calls. But um, again, just so grateful for you tonight, Ebony. Grateful for how the Lord used you. If you all have testimonies or prayer requests, even after this, you can email us, wehudwell at gmail.com or visit wehudwell.org. Good night, everybody. God Love bless you. Guys. Hehehehe. <laughs>